Well, this morning we're going to continue our series. So we're two weeks into an eight-week series called Connected. We're studying relationships from the Bible. What does the Bible have to say to us about relationships? We talked last week about how we were designed by God for relationships. You are a relational creature designed in the image of a relational God. For that reason, you need relationships. You can't live a healthy human life without relationships. I came across some fascinating research this week, secular research, but that confirms this idea of we, we have to have relationships to live a healthy life. A, a number of studies recently have proven that people with strong relationships are 50% less likely to die prematurely than people without strong relationships. So relationships is like a life and death issue for human beings. College students with strong relationships are half as likely to catch a common cold as students without. So students, you want to avoid the cold? Make some friends. (laughs) Doubling your group of friends, like the size of your group of friends, has the same effect on your sense of well-being and happiness as increasing your income by 50%. Finally, lack of strong relationships has been directly correlated to increased blood pressure, depression, and obesity. In other words, you cannot live a healthy, fulfilling life without relationships because that's how God designed it. He designed us to need one another, to to need relationships. It's incredibly important to us. The problem is, is that all of our relationships are broken by sin. We talked about that last Sunday. How the natural bent of the human heart is, is towards things like pride and selfishness and resentment and ingratitude and envy. And, and those sinful things in our heart, they destroy all of our relationships. They make relationships hard. However, we also saw last week how there's hope. There's hope because God desires to heal all the relationships in our lives through the power of his spirit. Not just our relationship with him. Yes, that's most important, but he cares deeply about all our human relationships as well. And he's given us hope for every human relationship. His spirit is supernaturally powerful and can heal and restore every relationship in our lives. And that restoration begins the moment that we trust in Jesus as our Savior. We talked about the good news last week, the gospel, that that begins this healing of all our relationships. We come to believe that God loves us so much That his son Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He sacrificed himself for us and then rose from the dead to conquer sin and death once and for all. And now he offers us forgiveness of all our sins and and an eternal relationship with God as our father as a free gift. That There's nothing that you need to do to become part of the family of God. You just need to believe Jesus already did it all for you. He paid the price you couldn't pay. He rose from the dead, defeating death for you so that you could become part of God's family for free. You just have to say yes to Jesus. Now, now here's the key. Everything else I'm going to say this morning assumes you have already said yes to Jesus. I'm assuming that you have already reached a moment in your life where you have said to Jesus, yes, I... I believe you died for me and rose from the dead so I could be forgiven and have eternal life and have your Holy Spirit as a free gift. I say yes to that, Jesus. If you haven't said yes to that, then nothing else I will say this morning yet applies to you. The first and most important thing you need to do is come to Jesus and say, yes, 
I believe I want that, what you provide, Jesus. If there's anything holding you back from that, I invite you, come talk to to me or Ryan or Guff or to anybody this morning. We would love to talk to you about what it looks like to say yes to Jesus. For all of us who have said yes to Jesus, all of us who have trusted in Jesus as our Savior, then, then what we need to realize is whether we feel like it or not, we belong to a new family called the church. The moment that you trusted in Jesus, you became part of this new community that the Bible calls the church. Now, that leads naturally to some questions. First of all, what is the church? What does it mean when we say this word church? We use it every Sunday. What is it? Well, best place I know to go if you have questions about the church is actually the book of Ephesians. It has a ton to say about the church, including giving us a definition. This is the best definition I know of, of what the church is. Ephesians chapter 1, God put all things under Christ's feet and he gave him to the church as head over all things. Now the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what is the church? It is literally the body of Jesus Christ on earth. I don't think that's a metaphor. I think it's far more than that. I think the church is the actual living, breathing body of Jesus on earth Today, So that's what the church is. It's the body of Christ on earth. Who's in it? Who is in this body of Christ? Well, that's 1 Corinthians 12. For in one spirit, the Holy Spirit, we are all baptized into one body, that is the church. Whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, we are all made to drink of the one spirit. Who's in the church? Everyone, regardless of of race, regardless of socioeconomic class, everyone who's received the Holy Spirit. Who's received the Holy Spirit? All who believe in Jesus. So if you have believed in Jesus, you are already part of this church, of the church worldwide. Now that's an important thing to get clear because I I remember growing up, when I was a kid, I grew up in a church and so as an elementary age kid, if you ask me what is the church, I always assumed you meant what? The building. The church is what? Well, I grew up in Tomball Bible Church about an hour south of here. And so if you ask me, what is the church? It was uh, these really narrow, rough bricks that they made the hallway out of for some crazy reason. So when you were fighting with your brother, if you weren't careful, you'd end up all scraped up. And, and the church is a baptismal that they built into the stage. It's like three feet raised so that everybody could see you when you're super nervous getting baptized. And, and what is the church? Super uncomfortable wood back pews. That no one wants to sit in. You all are so lucky. That was the church. And, and as kids, we grew up singing that, right? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open it up. Here's the people. Guess what? That's heresy. That's not true. What's the church? The people. The people of Jesus. That's the church. So this building, I like this building. I've been here a long time. You realize if this whole building burns down... That does not diminish Grace Bible Church at all. Because this building isn't the church. We are the church. The people joined to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are the church. So you are a member of the church, whether you feel like it or not. If you've trusted in Jesus, that's just an objective reality. You are part of the church, even if you don't feel like it. Now, if you don't feel like it though, that begs the question, how can you feel more like this body? And that's really what we're talking about in this series. 
So the objective reality is you are part of the church community, but you may not feel like you're part of it. You may not yet have strong relationships here. You may not yet have a lot of strong friendships here in the church. Maybe you feel like you don't belong. Maybe you feel like you don't know anybody here. So, so the question that we're thinking about this morning is how do we grow in our relationships with one another in the church? How do we each as individuals grow in, in the depth of our relationships in this community? How do we connect better with the church, the body of Jesus on earth? So, how do you grow as part of, well, any community? Well, the first thing you got to do is you got to learn the rules and expectations of that community. If, if you're going to grow to be part of a community, you got to understand how the community works. You got to figure out what are, what are kind of the rules that bind these people together? What do they expect of one another? When I graduated from A&M, I moved up north to D.C. to an engineering company, and I, I found that they had some rules, some unstated expectations that I better learn if I ever wanted to make friends there. Number one, don't talk like a Texan. The word howdy unites us here. It isolates you up there, I promise you. Number two, do not ever microwave stinky food in the office kitchen. You microwave fish one time, they're done with you. Number three, at lunch, don't talk shop. You can talk cars, you can talk family, you can talk sports, but not shop. The better that I learn kind of those rules and expectations of the community, the better I connected. The stronger that sense of community grew. So let's think about the church. The church belongs to Jesus. So what are Jesus's rules and expectations for this community, for this family? Well, I'm going to share with you what I think are the top three expectations Jesus has for this community. It's not all of them. There's no way I could cover all of them in one sermon. There's a lot more, but these are the big three. And I promise you, if you will learn and practice these three expectations that Jesus has for the church, you will grow in the depth of your relationships here at Grace. You'll become more and more part deeply of this community. So let's jump right in. What is the first expectation Jesus has for this community called the church? Number one, we welcome all on equal terms. That's just a, a fundamental part of what the church has been from the very beginning. Actually, the church practiced what we might call radical equality in its early days. Radical equality of of gender, of race, of class, of nationality that you couldn't find anywhere else in the ancient world. It was, it was amazing what the church does in the book of Acts to involve everyone on equal terms. And you see this described in a number of key passages, so I'll just share a few with you. Galatians 3.28, Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Now, now, this doesn't mean that those distinctions don't still exist. They're obvious distinctions. They still do exist. Nor does it mean that we don't celebrate the things that make us unique. Those are worth celebrating. What Paul's point is, is that in terms of your membership in the church, all of these groups are welcomed on equal terms. Absolutely equal terms. None of these identity things divide us in terms of our participation in this family. So... All people welcomed on equal terms. So that's kind of the global verse. It covers all classes. Let, let me give you another example, a little more narrow from the book of James chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, do not show prejudice if you possess faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. 
For if someone comes into your assembly wearing a gold ring and fine clothing, and a poor person enters in filthy clothes, do you pay attention to the one who is finely dressed? And say, you sit here in a good place, and to the poor person, you stand over there or sit on the floor. If so, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? James' point is that economic discrimination is absolutely forbidden in the church. Now, that's as countercultural today as it was 2,000 years ago because we live in a world that is designed around the principle of economic discrimination. It's called capitalism. We as a society, we reward the rich. So those who are wealthy get better food, better housing, better transportation, better entertainment, better political influence. That's just how the world we live in works. But that's not allowed here. That's not allowed among the the family of God. That's not what Jesus wants in the church. The poor are to have every single benefit of the wealthy in this family. Okay, So all, regardless of wealth, are welcome on equal terms in the church. That's true for race as well. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's talking about two racial groups, Jews and Gentiles, that were, for most of history, divided. They were, in a sense, in strife with one another. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, he's talking about the Gentiles, have been brought near, near to the Jews, by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body, that is the church, to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity between these racial groups. So Paul's particularly talking about Jews and Gentiles, but the principle's bigger. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he tore down every wall that separated any race. Okay, so whatever racial separations or walls there are out there in the world, Jesus has torn down those walls here in the church. So there's to be nothing that separates racial groups here in the body of Jesus Christ. And so we've said it many times. I, I, I think this should be clear by now. Things like racism and prejudice are sin and are evil. Every time and every way, everywhere. In the church, we should never see anything like that. Because when Jesus died, what he was doing, I think what Paul's telling us is that Jesus was in a sense wrapping his arms around every racial group on the planet and drawing them all into one new humanity, one new family, one new body called the church. Now, we actually have an opportunity to celebrate that tomorrow. It's MLK Day, and here at Southwood, we're going to celebrate that together. You're all invited here tomorrow at 6 p.m. I and and a number of other people here on staff at Grace, we're going to help all of us to reflect for a little bit on the history of slavery and segregation in our country, and then we're going to talk about how we as the church can model genuine racial reconciliation to the world. So it's an excellent opportunity for us to gather and talk about how we as a family, we as a church body, are designed to to welcome all races together into one. So when you think about what is the church, what does Jesus expect of the church, it's to be a community open to absolutely all people, regardless of race, gender, socioeconomic class, sinful background, whatever it might be, open to absolutely all people on absolutely equal terms. Now, that does beg a question that we need to hit pause on and talk about for a little bit. 
If all of this is true, if all are welcome on equal terms in the church, then why don't we see women in the same leadership roles as men at Grace Bible Church? That's a really significant question in our culture and and in the church worldwide. It's so significant that actually the elders and pastors have been talking about this for the last three years. We've been working on this question, going through every relevant passage in the Bible, thinking through what God has traditionally done here at Grace Bible Church, trying to understand, God, what are you calling us at Grace Bible Church to practice? So we've been working on this for a long, long time with the goal of rolling out today. So, hello. Uh, (laughs) Goal is as part of this sermon, we would be able to talk to you guys about where we landed. We have written a position paper that goes into a little more depth, and that's being posted on our website and social media this week. So you can get it there. I want to give you just a summary this morning. That's really all I can do. Go to the position paper for more details. But, but the summary is we are what's often called a complementarian church. That's kind of the, our basic position. And when you say that you're a complementarian church, what we mean by that, how we define that term, is that we believe two things to be true. So the first thing that we believe to be true is that both genders are equal. So both male and female are created equal before God. And we've we've actually already seen that. Galatians 3 was clear about that. Male and female, no distinction in terms of relationship with God, involvement in the church, gift of the Holy Spirit, empowerment by the Spirit, all that's the same. We saw that last week in Genesis chapter 1. Do you recall? What did Genesis chapter 1 tell us? The nature of humanity. We are made in the image of God. And that applies equally to both male and female. So we believe that men and women both are equally valuable to God. Both are equally made in the image of God. Both are saved on the same terms. Both are welcomed by, into the church and filled with the spirit on the same terms. Furthermore, we believe that both men and women are invited and expected to participate in the life of the church and in the worship service itself. It's important to know that we have clear examples of women praying and prophesying in the early church, in in the actual church services. I'll give you an example. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. This is a passage about head coverings. It's a little bit complicated. I preached a whole sermon on it. You can go on the website and get it if you'd like. I'm just going to point you there. Way more than we can cover today. So many people get caught up in the head coverings and miss what are they doing with their heads covered. Praying and prophesying vocally, publicly in the gathered church worship service. And so we know that from the earliest days, women were invited to have a vocal significant role in the church service, praying and prophesying as we gather together. So that's the first truth that we believe. Second truth that we believe as part of a complementarian position, we believe that God reserved the role of elder and pastor for men. So we believe that this certain role was reserved by God for qualified men, godly men. There's a couple passages in particular that we would direct you to. One is Titus chapter 1. Paul says uh, to Titus, Set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you, namely if any man is above reproach the husband of one wife. So it's important. Paul saying appoint an elder. Just so you know, in the early church, there was no distinction between elder and pastor. Same thing. Okay, so when we say elder and pastor, we mean that same office. So it's a pastor with elder authority is what we're talking about. So Paul is saying appoint these elder pastors in in each church, and he says that they're men. 
And, and they're, they're godly men who fit a whole lot of qualifications that come in the next few verses. A whole lot of things that delineate a, a mature, godly, experienced man. So Titus 1. Second passage that we would go to is 1 Timothy 2. Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, let me, let me clarify some things here. First of all, <laughs> thank you for laughing at that. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> cut the tension a bit. First Timothy chapter 2 is about the church worship service. That is specific in the context. So just so we're clear, Paul is not saying that a woman can't teach men in college or seminary. One of my best professors in seminary was a woman who taught me biblical Hebrew. She was awesome. This is also not saying that women can't teach men the Bible or theology in a more private setting. We have examples in the book of Acts of a woman named Priscilla teaching theology to a guy named Apollos. And Jesus was great with that. What this is saying is that in the church gathered worship service, what we're doing right here on Sunday mornings, women are permitted to pray and prophesy and sing and be vocal, but they're not permitted to teach or lead with elder authority. Why? Why did God reserve that role for men? The answer is, I have no idea. I don't. I do know it's not because men are better teachers or better leaders than women. Beth Moore could teach circles around me any day of the week. And there are a lot of women in this town who are better leaders than me. It's not because of capacity. It's because of God's free choice, just like God chose in the Trinity. Why does the son submit to the father? Have you ever thought about that? In the Trinitarian nature of God, is it because Jesus is less than the father? No. He is absolutely equal to the Father in every way, but for some reason, in eternity past, he chose to submit. The Spirit chose to submit to the Father and the Son. The Trinity freely chose order among equals within itself. God chose the same for the church. Order among equals. And so we believe as a church that while both genders are completely equal before God, we're called to reserve the role of elder pastor for godly mature men. Now, with that said, we want to be very, very careful as a church to not go beyond that singular restriction. Anything that falls out uh, outside of that narrow restriction, we want to open freely to both godly men and godly women. And so, for that reason, over this last year, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but we've had a lot of women do a lot of significant things on this stage. We now have women leading the invitation and the welcoming moment and the announcements. We have women praying. We have women reading scripture. We have women leading songs, leading us in worship. We, we're, exci- we're excited about that. We celebrate that. We, we have some more roles that have traditionally been done by, by just men that we will be opening up in the next month to women here in our worship service. So I'll give you a few examples. You're going to see changes coming to offertory, communion, and baptism in the next few weeks. So offertory, the Bible doesn't say anything about offertory. So we have freedom to practice that however we'd like. So we're going to invite godly women to join godly men in collecting offertory. That's a relatively small one. Communion, that is mentioned. Communion's a big deal. It's one of two of the sacred ordinances that Jesus gave to his church. We believe that it actually should be an elder or pastor who leads the, the moment of communion when we actually take the, the bread and the wine. But, but the distribution of communion, that's not mentioned anywhere in the New Testament. So we believe there's freedom there. 
So we're going to be inviting godly men to join, or godly women to join godly men in distributing and passing out communion and, and helping us with that. Uh, finally, baptism. That's the other of the two ordinances that Jesus gave his church. Again, we believe that a, an elder or a pastor should lead the communion moment. But as you've seen in the past, when it comes to the actual like telling the testimony, reading the verse, and dunking the person, we've invited dads to do that when it's their kids. We're going to start inviting women to do that too. So moms can do that. Couples can do that with their kids. If a lady leads another lady to Christ, she can do the dunking part. So you're going to start to see more and more women involved in public ways in the Grace Bible Church service. We're very excited about that. More women visibly serving here when we gather. Now, now a word of charity. So let's just be, be really clear about this. Um, there are many godly churches who disagree with us on both sides of this issue. And that is completely okay because this is not a gospel issue. Absolutely not. This is very much a secondary issue. And so we can love and partner with egalitarian churches, for example, that have women pastors and elders. We can partner together. Even though we disagree with this issue, we agree on far more important things. So please keep this as a secondary issue. So we at Grace Bible Church, we believe that Jesus has made us to, be, to welcome all on equal terms. That's the big idea here. That was the first expectation. All welcomed into this church family on equal terms. Let's now go to the second expectation Jesus has for his church. We will sacrificially love one another. Last week we learned that um, God's eternal nature, the eternal nature of the Trinitarian God is sacrificial love. So it's not a surprise that the the fundamental eternal nature of the people of God would also be sacrificial love. That's kind of the fundamental thing God wants to be true of our family here, is that we sacrificially love one another. In fact, that's so important to God that I I don't know if you've noticed, this is what Jesus said would show the world that we follow him. It's our love for one another. John 13, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Not if you have great theology or great apologetics or you're really smart or something like that, but if you love one another deeply, that's what will show the world that you follow Jesus. If you love all people and especially your fellow brothers and sisters in the church. So, our nature should be to love one another. That's easy to say. What does it actually look like, though? What does sacrificial love for one another in the church look like? Well, Jesus says to us in John 15, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The ultimate expression of love is to die for another. Now, most of us, at least in the foreseeable future, are not going to be asked to do that for one another. So what is love going to look like here among us? How are we to sacrificially love one another? Well, we could go to James 2. Here's a clear example of what it looks like to love one another. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Jesus expects that we will sacrifice our food, our shelter, our clothing, and our money to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. That's just a fundamental part of what it looks like to to walk with Jesus. Here's another example for you. 1 Peter 4. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality to other believers. Now, it's important to, to define this. What did it mean in Peter's day? Well, there were no hotels 
in the ancient world, at least not for common people. So if a believer traveled from one city to another, he or she needed a place to stay. So he'd knock on the door of a believer who didn't know, they weren't friends, hadn't met before, but just they'd heard, we're, hey, we're believers. And, and, and you were expected, if, you, if someone knocked on your door who's a believer saying, I need a place to stay, you were expected to open your door and say, yes, stay with me for days, for weeks, live right here in my home. They opened their homes freely to strangers who just happened to follow Jesus. That's radical hospitality compared to what we think of today. So Jesus expects us to practice this kind of sacrificial love Towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, here's the deal. You may be thinking about your fellow believers here at Grace Bible Church. And you think to yourself for a moment, well, none of my friends at Grace Bible Church, at the moment at least, need my food or my shelter or my clothing or my financial help because they seem to be doing all right. And you know what? That, that could be true. We as a church, we are a middle upper class church. We are a a financially wealthy church. It doesn't mean that everyone here is doing financially well. There are some believers here at Grace who are in great need, but they're a relatively small percentage. And so it could be easy for you to think to yourself, read James 2 and think, well, well, I guess I'm good. No one's knocking, right? No, that's not at all how Jesus wants us to think about this passage. We have to remember that our brothers and sisters in Christ are all believers on the planet not just the believers who happen to go to grace bible church it's all believers worldwide and many of them are in desperate financial need that includes many here in our own town through our work with uh, habitat for humanity on ramp sos ministries we we've seen a ton of people in this community who are poor and in great need who happen to go to other churches, especially minority churches who don't have the resources to care for all those needs. Well, guess what? That's our job. Jesus expects us to step up as a church that is, that is better off financially and help believers and churches in our community who are lacking. We're called to do that. Now, how do we do that? Well, I, I think that's, that's tough. That's tricky. One of the best ways is to support Christian ministries that are really experts at caring for the physical and financial needs of others. Support Habitat for Humanity. Give and go work because they're building houses, many of whom go to believers. Support SOS Ministries. Support the, the church pantry that distributes food to the community. Support on-ramp. Support these ministries that are blessing people in the community in the name of Christ. It's not enough to just look at your friends at Grace Bible Church and think, hey, we're all good. We've got believers throughout this town who are in desperate need. And the world will know we follow Jesus by how we give to them. So we need to care sacrificially for the believers in this town, regardless of what church they go to. We also need to care sacrificially for believers who are needy throughout the world. I think it's important to remember that Paul's most significant financial ministry, like fundraising ministry, was actually to relieve famine back in Judea. He raised money from Gentile churches to buy food for Jewish churches who were struggling with a famine back in their homeland. Jesus' expectation is that we, as a church that tends to have more resources, will give financially as individuals, as a church, to those churches and those believers around the world who are resource deficient. So I I tell you all this because what I'm challenging you to do is to change your sense of the scope of what Jesus is calling us to care about. It is not enough. 
to only care for the financial needs of the people who go to Grace Bible Church. We are called to care and sacrificially, painfully give to the physical needs of our believers, of our fellow believers throughout this town, regardless of what church they go to, and throughout the world. That's the scope. It's all of us, one family together. So we're called to sacrificially love one another. Third thing that Jesus expects of us, third kind of rule for this community he has for us is we depend on each other. Jesus has designed this community where we would each depend deeply upon one another. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We read one verse from there earlier. We're going to read a few more now. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Jesus has designed the church where where every single one of us would have a vital role to play. There'd be no extraneous members of the church. All of us need all of us, right? We need each other. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to pick it up in verse 20. But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. This, this one body, this is the church, the, the body of Christ on earth. Each of us is a member of this body. We're each unique and we're each an essential part of it. And to explain that, Paul uses the, the metaphor of a human body. How there's all these different systems, parts in your body that are all needed. They're all necessary in their own way. And I love how he talks about how if one member suffers, all the body suffers, all members suffer. I remember a number of years ago, a vase shattered and, and a, like half of it fell on my foot and sliced a tendon. And in that moment, as like blood is gushing from my foot, it wasn't like the rest of my body. Like it only hurt, like right, it only hit like right here. It wasn't like from the ankle up, I could tell myself, don't care about that. He'll be okay. Let's, let's not worry, just bandage him up. We got other stuff to do. No, my entire body screamed. I actually hit the floor. I was in such incredible pain. Everything, I think my ear felt it. Everything felt that because when one member suffers, the whole body suffers. So it is in the church. When one member of the church suffers, all the members suffer. When one member of the church rejoices, all the members rejoice together. At least that's how Jesus wants it to work. He wants us to be so invested in each other's lives, connected so deeply, serving one another so deeply that we would even know when one member suffers or one member rejoices. That's the design of this, of this thing we call the church that all of us would play a vital role. We need you. You need us. That's how it's meant to work. And so let's get practical here. If you're going to be part of this family, I want to tell you how to connect and how to serve here at Grace Bible Church. So I'm going to walk you through some things. Let's think about some things. How do you connect here? It may be that you're checking out Grace Bible Church. You're seeing if you like being here. My hope is that you'll go deeper. 
that you'll say, this is going to be my church home. I'm going to connect with other believers in this place. How do you do that? Well, the simplest answer is you go to our website, grace-bible.org, and whether you're looking at it on a computer, an iPad, or an iPhone, whatever it might be, right at the top there's a button that says join a group. And just click that. If you join a group, if you click that, you will see a plethora of different options. It's an incredible number of group options here at Grace. There's Sunday morning groups, there's weekday groups, there's home groups, there's co-ed groups, there's women's groups, men's groups, college groups, all kinds of groups here at Grace that you can join. You will see them all described. You will get to go through them and choose what works best for you at this particular point in time. Um, If you look through it and you have questions, don't hesitate to ask one of us. Just come up. We're happy to walk you through it and help you to understand how you can best get connected here at Grace. Let me spotlight a few options for you if you're on the end of a row and you look under at least one end of the rows. There is a collection of postcards. If you'll take those and pass them down. Take one and pass it down. I want to point out to you a few options here that we have. So, um, on the side that looks like that... Here are three different group options we have for you on Sunday mornings. So if Sunday morning is the right time of the week for you, there's three different things you could do here at Grace. The, the first one, Awaken, that's temporary. That's going on just for February at 11 a.m. here at Southwood in the Fellowship Wing. Awaken is an opportunity to, to discover and, and commit to the next steps that you can do to get involved in what God's doing locally and globally. It's a really cool opportunity. If you've ever heard of Perspectives, it's kind of a mini version of some of that. Great way to learn more about what God is doing in the world. So Awaken is an opportunity. Then we have a couple for you that, that are like long-standing groups. They're always meeting and you are always welcome. Life Builders, 11 a.m., multi-generational class for both marrieds and singles. They've got all kinds of people in there. Home Builders at 9.15. Connect, grow, and engage with other couples who have children at home. Great opportunities to connect with others on Sunday mornings, if that's what works best for you. If you flip the card over, you'll see a big, word, a big C, Cultivate. If you are looking for a group during the week and don't have one, the easiest option for you is to come to Cultivate. It meets four times during February. It's basically, it's like an incubator for small groups. So the idea is you're joining with other believers to begin to form a group that'll spin out of that, that'll launch out of that. So a great way if you're new, uh, or if you've been here a long time and never figured out how to connect, this is a great opportunity. Okay, so love to have you choose one of these and connect. Uh, Another opportunity for you, if you would like to become a member of this church, now just to clarify, you are a member already in the sense that the Holy Spirit has made you a member here, but if you want to vote, that's really what it comes down to. If you want to be a voting member of Grace Bible Church, you need to go through a membership class where we orient you to the, to, the, to the way that grace works, our particular beliefs, our leadership structure, our responsibilities. Next membership class is January 26th. So love to have you join that. It's at the Anderson Fireside Room. Details are there. If that time doesn't work for you or if that class fills up, we will have more. So just look for a Discover membership class. For those of you who are members, just a reminder, we do have our our Grace Family Gathering tonight over at the Anderson campus at 5 o'clock. We'd love to have you join us during that family time. So that's how you can connect here at Grace. The second word that I use for you is serve. So you need to connect, 
and you need to serve. How do you serve at Grace? Lots of options. Uh, way too many for me to put on a slide. So I put a couple links. If you would like to serve at Grace Bible Church, the easiest things that you can do, just go to our website and go to either serve-with-grace, so serve with grace, or community-partnerships. Community partnerships are where you learn about serving with all of these great uh, community partners we have in the community. So you can check out either of those. At the same time, though, often when people ask me, like, how can I serve at a church? You know, the website is good. You should check it out. The easiest thing and probably the best thing to do is just look around and see someone serving that is doing something you would like to do. Like maybe it's somebody in the sound booth or it's somebody playing music or it's somebody helping with the kids or the youth or whatever it might be. Look around and and when you see somebody who's doing something and you think, "I, I feel like maybe I could do that. I feel like maybe that's something that I would enjoy doing or that God could really use me. Just go ask him, hey, how can I help? Just come ask any of us. How can I help? We'd love to have you jump in. So when I did graduate, I went up to D.C. and I worked at that engineering company. Not only did I, did I start a new company, I also started a new church. So I went to a church in D.C. that was so big it made Grace look tiny. It made Grace look like a home church. Compared, it was a massive church, huge. And I walked in and it was a jamming service and the lights were going and it was amazing and the teaching was great. And, and the whole service passed and then it was time to go home and I'm walking to my car and I'm bummed because no one initiated with me. No one like reached out and befriended me. And I, I felt sad about that. And, and there is a, a sense in which that's sad. But, but as I drove away um, and, and God started speaking to me, um, the conviction that came was, well, Blake, who did, who did you initiate with? While you were there. Who, who did you befriend? Because it's not like that church exists to serve you. It's not how it works. You're in it with them. You're part of the church too. So you need to step up. You need to initiate. You need to befriend. You need to serve. And that would be my challenge for you. Grace Bible Church is not perfect. We definitely could do a better job welcoming people, befriending people. We're trying to get better at that. But please, if, if you've come and you felt like, well, no one initiated with me. My challenge for you is, well, please initiate with us because we're all in this together. I I encourage you, I invite you, I challenge you to step up and initiate by finding a place to connect and a place to serve. If you'll jump into a a group and and start connecting with others, if you'll find a place to serve and you'll start helping out at church or in the community, I promise you'll make friendships, you'll make connections, you'll build relationships if you will step up and connect and serve with us. We would love to have you do that. So uh, I'm going to close us in prayer. Again, if you have any questions about how to connect or how to serve, please find any one of us here that work at Grace. We would love to help you find your place to connect and serve at Grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for giving us this family, your church to belong to. Jesus, we praise you and we thank you that, that you are the head of this church, that you, that you lead this church, that, that you direct this church. We praise you and thank you, Spirit, that you fill this church, that you are here with us, uniting us together as one body. We praise you for that. We pray, God, that you would help each of us to find our place at Grace Bible Church, a place to connect, a place to serve. I pray particularly for anyone who feels isolated, who feels like they don't belong here for one reason or another. I pray that you would open their eyes and help them to see that they do belong. That if they've trusted in Jesus, this is their home. This is their community. This is their family. This is a place for them. 
I pray, God, that you would help them to see some practical ways to to connect with us and serve with us and grow in their relationship with us. I pray that we would truly be a family that welcomes all, that, that blesses all, that loves one another deeply and sacrificially. And Lord, I do pray that, that here at Grace, as we love and serve one another more and more, that we would also learn to love and serve one another, um, our, love and serve better our brothers and sisters who go to other churches in this town. I pray, Lord, that we would love them better, that we would unify with them better, that we would serve them better, that we would sacrifice for them better. I pray, Lord, that, that how you show us, as all the churches here in this town, how you help us to love one another and sacrifice for one another, I pray that it would be so beautiful and so amazing and so selfless that the community would look and say, wow, there is a God in this place. I pray, Father, that people who don't yet know Jesus would be drawn to Jesus through the love in this church and between all the churches in this town. Thank you that you can do that. Thank you, Spirit, that you're with us. Fill us and strengthen us as we go from here. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, God bless you guys. Have a great week.